Love this podcast? Support it and sponsor today. Simply head to OzCastNetwork.com for details. Get great fall savings on all your home care and entertaining needs during the fall home care event at Safeway. Head into Safeway and get deals on products like Clorox disinfecting wipes, Swiffer wet mopping cloths, Lysol all-purpose cleaner, Swiffer wet jet mopping pads, Mr. Clean multi-surface cleaner, or Lysol power toilet bowl cleaner. Visit Safeway.com or head into your local store for more details. Offers expire October 31st. Restriction supply promotions may vary. The big event the whole country is talking about. Mrs. Miniver, a timely drama, tuned to the terrific tempo of the world of today. Mrs. Miniver, the story of a valiant woman whose love and devotion shield her family from the cruelest onslaught of devastation ever visited upon mankind. It is a story of youth, too, of young people who hold aloft against the shadow of the present everything that is brightness for the future. Mrs. Miniver is as great in its rich moments of quiet tenderness as in its vivid moments of unbridled terror and sweeping action. You will not soon forget the gallantry of this family of brave and decent people whose courage is the flaming spirit of a family of brave and decent nations. I feel so exhausted talking about Mrs. Miniver. I haven't even started talking about Mrs. Miniver. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Awards Don't Matter, uh, the podcast that takes a look at all the best picture winners throughout all of time and says, does this particular film matter or not? Uh, is it still important? Who knows? We'll never know. Well, that's what we're here for. My name's Andrew Pierce. I'm joined by my co-host, Dave, to discuss these films. What are we talking about this time? Rand. Um, we're talking about a movie that, like, before last week, I don't think I'd ever heard of. Um, so we're going to talk about the award-winning Mrs. Miniver. Um, so, yeah, that's a, that's a movie, apparently. Can you give us a rundown of what Mrs. Miniver is about? Because um, I want to lead into something after you talk about that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, more than anything else, I think it's it's about, like... During World War II, or as it's about to begin, the effects of the war at home, right? So it kind of focuses on this family and, you know, one member of the family going off to war and, like, the 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 kind of small life back home, right? And how this is so desperately impacted. Like, how life still goes on, but, like, how do you function in this new world where all of your boys, as they go off to war... You have to accept that they might die and they might never come back. And yes, they're doing this for, quote unquote, the right reasons. But where does this, that leave us at the end? And a lot of it is very much that British stiff upper lip, you know, like, like we deal with we deal with this as it comes. And we have to adjust to this new life that we're now involved in, in this war of the world. It's like that's where we are right now. I noticed that you didn't mention that it's about Mrs. Miniver because this is that's like my biggest complaint is about it? the film. Is <laughs> yeah. it? Like I want to I want to launch off the bat. Greg Greg Arson uh, plays Mrs. Miniver. She um 
won Best Actress for this particular film. Uh, it was directed by William Wyler as well. Uh, and, you know, one of the things which I find, I, I think I was really looking forward to this film because I'd heard a lot of really solid uh, remarks about it and thought that it was supposed to be quite good. Uh, and look, it's not a terrible film. Um, it has Teresa Wright in it, so how can it be a terrible film? Um, but I'm disappointed. Yeah. Her, with her how- and Walter Pidgeon both actually are very good here. It's nice nice to see both of these actors again, actors that kind of make appearances on these lists. But yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think the most disappointing thing about this film is the fact that while it's called Mrs. Miniver, it, it, and you'd theoretically think that it is about Mrs. Miniver, or at least the Rose that gets named after her, um, she's kind of a nothing character. Greg Arson is very good, don't get me wrong, but she is kind of a nothing character here in this particular narrative. Everything happens to the people around her. And I had mm-hmm. assumed that near the end of the film that we might make a point about how the family's left back at home, the wives left back at home, the mothers left back at home uh, are left to deal with this emotional fallout of the war and the emotional fallout of what's gone on. But there's not really much of that at all. Um, it's just kind of like yeah. we focus on this person who stays at home and that's about it. And yeah, and I found that a little bit disappointing. Yeah, I, think, I think there's only one scene, scene that comes with that. and there's, It's a great scene between her and Teresa Wright um, kind of talking about, you know, her son going off to war and, you know, Teresa Wright playing the romantic interest and just her essentially not okay with it, but accepting the fact that she might never see him again. And, and and you get a hint of how the women at home are impacted by this, but it's very, it's very brief. It's a very wonderful scene, but you know, it's, it's interesting because most, most movies of this time period, I think are very up, up front or message. And this really isn't. Like, it really, it misses, I think, a lot of opportunities to hammer home its points, right? Because I think it is trying to say what you're talking about. But it just, like, from a script level, like, never really gets there. But I, I will say, Andrew, I think this is the perfect movie to win in 1942. Not the best. But we've talked about this off mic. Almost all of these movies, and I use the term with you and I'll use it here again, are just, like, aggressively nice like these are these are nice movies. I I don't I don't know if I'd go as far as with most of them to even call them good and certainly not great. I'm not sure that there is a great nominee in the bunch. Maybe maybe Yankee Doodle Dandy, you know, gets close to that, but the rest of them like you know, like they just never get to those heights that you expect from the Academy Awards. Like I think every year that we've covered so far there's been at least one or two movies where I'm like, yeah, that's it. Even if it didn't win, that's the one, right? That's the one that I can really hold on to. And I'm not sure that that exists in 1942, which is strange. Well, I think that part of it comes down to uh, in the year that this particular, that Mrs. Miniver came out, there was a bit of a rule change with the Academy where they used to allow mm-hmm. films that were screened uh, in January to also be included in the lineup there. And there was a whole bunch of films that, um, like Shadow of a Doubt, which we've talked about Hitchcock before, and uh, that came out in January, and so that missed the nomination mm. process. And of course, it was you know nixed the following year. But I do wonder if some of those films would have effectively become more um, celebrated this year uh, if they were included. But also, it comes back to the fact that this is right in the midst of World War Two, and so right. 
we have a lot of films that are nominated that are, you know, are right there in the mix that are pretty uh, poignant and, you know, typical about, sure. or topical about the war going on right then. Mrs. Miniver, of course, 49th Parallel, uh, Wake mm. Island, which was um, directed by an Australian, John Farrow, which I didn't realize that he was an Australian until I watched a film recently that- about him. See, and that yeah. was the one movie I couldn't find. So good. No yeah. Australians on my TV. Not yeah. allowed. Yeah. As Mia Farrow's dad, but nonetheless. But the, and then oh. the Pied Piper as well. And, you know, these, these films are all about the war. And, you know, there's there's a there's something that is so um you know, I talked about this when we talked about The Great Dictator, about how artists are trying to do their bit to uh, have a say about the war, to get people excited or interested, involved in the war. And when it comes to a film like Mrs. Miniver, you know, there's something most um, kind of scary in a way that, that highlights how much of a propaganda piece it is in a way, where mm. Winston Churchill was like, a film like Mrs. Miniver is worth a hundred battleships. And that is a, mm-hmm. it's quite a, quite a scary thing because the whole entire point is to try and rally people around and get them interested in going to war. Yeah, I it's personally, like war bonds the movie, Mrs. Vinever. That's yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, per, I personally think that 49th parallel did it much better. I found that a, a quite engaging film with a real, yeah. a really great ending as well. And I found it really mm-hmm. quite terrifying in the sense that, um, the whole entire, you know, breadth of that particular film, you have these Nazis who are like, we want to get to America because that's neutral territory. And it's like that, that's, that's quite frightening. Yeah. Um, but I, I noticed as well that we're talking around Mrs. Miniver a lot because uh, I just find it, I enjoy watching it. I thought it was a very solid three and a half star film. However, I never found myself getting swept up in it. And I never right, found myself right. getting moved by it either, besides nope. what happens to Teresa Wright's character, uh, Carol, right. which is unexpected. Um, so maybe let's talk about that a bit, because yeah, Teresa Wright's fantastic. And uh, she is her death in this particular film is unexpected, because we're built up to expect her husband uh, to be the person who's going to die. How did that impact you? Did you expect her to pass away or did you expect him oh, to Oh, not at all. Not at all. And it's, I think, the only moment of the movie that's mildly moving. Um, and I think in a, it sounds mean, but like in a better movie, like that scene will gut you. Like it is just so rough. But I think a lot of it is, it's director stuff, which sounds, you know, sounds rough. But like it's, the acting style is so presentational it feels like we've gone back in time like 10 years watching this movie. Like this feels like a movie from the thirties. Um, and it, you know, and it, it feels like the actors were directed to be that way. It doesn't feel like a mistake. It feels like a choice. And I think when you have that presentational style, when something emotional happens, it tends to ring a little bit hollow. Um, and I definitely had that feeling where I was watching. If you watch the events of the movie, you're like, I know what I should be feeling right now. But I do not. I got I've got nothing here, you know, and it's just it's a really so for me, it's a really frustrating movie in that way, because on its face, it feels like something I should really like and that I would really enjoy. And I don't know, like, I feel like you don't like it that much, but I feel like you like it more than I do. Yeah, because <laughs> um, like, I mean, I think I, you know, I think on Letterboxd, I gave it three stars. Like, it's just that kind of. It's fine. It's this like middle of the road. It's nice. Just like, you know, and speaking of these other movies, like you, this is like the, 
it's such a missed opportunity to me um, for the Academy to to give the award to something really good because I think there's to me there's like two choices and one of them wasn't even nominated for Best Picture. Um, I think Yankee Doodle Dandy would be a fine choice, but I also think Now Voyager is a fucking masterpiece and it's one of Betty Davis's greatest performances and she didn't even get the Best Actress win uh and the movie's not nominated so that's the one that i look here and i'm like that's the one that's the one that should have won and it was kind of a disappointing watch of a bunch of movies this for this year because um i mean magnificent ambersons is there and that's that's a good movie that should have been great much has been written and talked about as far as the way the studio got in the way of that movie and it's really upsetting and it's like legitimately like if you're a fan of film and if you're a fan of Orson Welles, it's a legitimately upsetting movie to watch because you can see it. You can see where things were ripped apart from it. And you're like, oh, this could have been so good. This could have been like a true class. Like this could have been I know it's like scandalous to say this could have been better than Citizen Kane. Like I, I truly, I actually, truly believe I, I will go as far as being scandalous. Even in its current state, I think it is better than mm-hmm. Citizen Kane. Okay, I, 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 like, I Yeah. yeah. I yeah. was... I, I really liked the Magnificent Ambersons. I thought it was fantastic, even though you can see those tears, those the, the fractures of the particular film. Yeah. Um, it's so oh, yeah, God, yeah. And then you know, watching the Pride of the Yankees, which is something that I think I only really know from a Tom Hanks Meg Ryan movie, because like he quotes it um, as talking like the most romantic. Like I think she's talking about what's the movie she's talking about. Um, where they meet at the Empire State Building. Um, oh, Sleepless like, in t- Seattle. Yeah, yeah, but she's talking about another movie from the past where they meet there, um, and he brings up Pride of the Yankees, where he gives his speech about being the luckiest man on the face of the earth. Today, I consider myself the luckiest man, 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 on the face, face, face of the earth. earth, 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 earth. <laughs> the Lou Gehrig line! Remember, remember Dad, the Lou Gehrig line from uh, Pride of the Yankees. And I watched this movie, and I am a baseball fan. Like, I've been a baseball fan basically since birth. This was ingrained in me by my father. Like, big baseball fan. So I was expecting this to really get me. And I was like, man, fuck this movie. Like, this is fucking boring. <laughs> like, Gary Cooper looks like he's like 60 years old trying to play a 20-year-old. It just doesn't work on any level. But it's another movie that's aggressively nice. There's like so many of these movies. Did you notice? There's like no conflict. Yeah. Like, there's no, like, it's just like we're here for a nice time at the theater. The war is a backdrop. But look at this nice Miniver family. Isn't this sweet? And it and, is. But, and, like, give yeah. me something to hold on to, man. Yeah. Like... Yeah, and, like, the greatest conflict in Mrs. Miniver is not exactly the war. It's about this really rich person who doesn't want a poor person to enter their rows in the war. And it's like... (laughs) Bitchy old lady. Like, that's it. And, like, yeah, she sucks. Okay, can we move on? (laughs) And and it's telegraphed from miles away that she'll eventually relinquish her, you know, her role and stuff like that and let him win. And, of course, he has to die, like, straight away. Like... As soon as he wins, he dies. And it's like, oh, is this the emotional crux? And I'm sure, look, it sounds like we're being harsher on the film than it maybe deserves because it it clearly had an impact on people at the time. It clearly did. It it was a big, let's speak English here, big box office success. $1.3 million it cost to make, $8.9 million it took at the box office. So it's genuinely... um, 
you know, when we talk about, like, people criticise, oh, why won't the Oscars celebrate the most successful films or the most important films? And it's like, well, you look at Mrs. Miniver, it was one of the most successful films of that year. So, you know, and that was at a time where people didn't have money. They didn't have the ability to uh, rush out and go and see films. And heck, I mean, even the, the Academy Awards themselves were made out of plaster that year because they needed the gold for the war. But Right. Right. So, you know, there there is clear emotional impact, uh, just like another film that was nominated, Random Harvest, which features Greer Garson as well, um, a film which I found utterly ludicrous. And it's one of those... <laughs> <laughs> it's a film that I, I... It has a trope in it that I just get so frustrated where, like, the film would have been solved if one person just went, hey, by the way, I was married to you and we had kids and you've got amnesia and, you know, <laughs> like... BT Dubs. Yeah. Like, here's, your, here's your context. No, no, can't say that. Just got to go through it. I mean, and that's another movie, another movie that's really nice. It has a really nice message and, like, it's a really sweet relationship. And then the only conflict is like, this guy has amnesia. That's it. That's the only conflict, right? And it's like, I uh, just... There's so much in in this year. I'm like, and even like, I was surprised. Like, the biggest surprise of this year is um, how much the Pipe Piper movie. How much I not despise that movie. Like, it has everything <laughs> on its face, and I feel like, oh, Dave is going to hate this movie. It, it's a movie during a war around all these little kids and a grumpy old man. Like that is the plot. Um, and it's you know, it's not good. It's not, good, but it's fine, and it's like it's it's mildly entertaining. And there's just so much of this. Like this year is so so meteor. Like it's just like, and I would almost prefer a bunch of movies in there that were just absolute shit shows that just te- terrible. And I, and I could, cause that, that you could talk about, right. They could be like, let me tell you why this movie's a piece of shit. But like, let me tell you why I gave this two and a half stars. Like, Oh man, I mean, you know, it's fine. I guess like, you know, these people seem really nice. They seem like they're really having a good time on screen. I guess, guess. like the, the, but in Mrs. Miniver, I think the one scene other than the death scene that really, that is really going to stick with me is the kind of bomb shelter scene. Like, I think that is really well done, but it's such a departure from the performances in the rest of the movie. It is so, so down to earth and so reality based and so connected that it almost doesn't feel like it fits in the rest of the movie. It's a bomb. I'll go in for the aerodrome again. You finished with this, darling? Yes. It's a lovely story. Uh-huh. I wonder if Lewis Carroll ever dreamed it would live forever. You know, it's the first story I ever read. Mine too. Really? Huh? How she would keep through all her riper years the simple and loving heart of her childhood. she would gather about her other little children and make their eyes bright and eager with many a strange tale. Perhaps even with the dream of Wonderland of long ago and how she would feel with all their simple sorrows and find a pleasure in all their simple joys remembering her own child life and the happy summer days. The happy summer days. 
right? Like, I'm watching this going, like, if I watch this, this five minutes as a short film, I love this. Like, it's like I think this is a four- or five-star movie. Um, but everything around it, like, even all the stuff with the guy growing the rose, and it's, again, it's nice, it's sweet, but who cares? Like, I through most of this movie, and it feels bad to say, but I just kept saying, like, why did any... And again, not living through a world, world war, right? So maybe during a world war, you just want... There's enough conflict out there on the news and in, in reality. Maybe I don't want conflict. Maybe I just want nice people doing nice things, and I don't need a bunch of fights. Okay, so let's look at it through pandemic eyes then. Okay, because the the whole point of that, Rose, is that he names it after her because he has that point of connection with her every single day when she gets onto the train and he is nice to her. He is kind to her. And that, that's something which, you know, looking at that, I was like, Oh, this is quite nice because it is something that nowadays we kind of miss in a way. You need to be 1.5 meters away. You need to, you know, be socially distanced and all this kind of stuff. And interaction is kept to something like what we're doing. It's over the internet. There's no right. tangible interaction. Right. You know, I can't stand there and have a casual conversation with somebody on the internet because, you know, who's going to want to listen to somebody talk about roses and stuff? And, of course, that's a modern <laughs> perspective on an old film, but it's just... I think that's one of the things which I, I did appreciate about Mrs. Miniver is it does look at what we had prior to the war. The normalcy, you know, Mrs. Miniver could quite happily go out and you know, purchase a hat and, you know, and like there was an affluence there. One of my favorite scenes in the movie. Yeah. I really like the beginning of this movie. It's, it's really nice. sweet. It's sweet. Yeah. Like, yeah. And her like modeling her little hat for her husband and him being, you know, kind of shitty and being like, well, yeah. that looks, well, that looks silly. <laughs> you just look at like, it's, it, it, I honestly, it's probably my favorite moment from her in this. Like she just looks so blissful in her life. And like, this is, you know, and the idea that he spent money made it okay. Like, look, look at what I did today. Isn't this nice? And she's yeah. just so, like, she's, like, almost giddy. And you get swept up in that. And then the war stuff happens. And I'm almost like, can we go back? Like, I don't, I don't care about any of this nonsense. Can we go back to hat shopping with, with Mrs. Miniver? I would watch, I would watch the 20, 30 minutes of that. Like, this sounds really fun, you know? So it's like, I feel like you either go hard with the conflict or don't go at all. Right. And it feels like there's a lot of half measures in this movie. Like we need to make a war picture, but we don't really want to delve into it. So we're just going to have, you know, planes fly in the background. So, you know, there's a war going on and you'll have this this minor character that we kind of like being shipped off to war. And and some of that stuff works like when he gets the phone call and he has to tell his family that he has to go again. That is very sad. And like it tugs on the heartstrings. But so much of it just feels like kind of half-stepping. And you're like, "Ah, either go for it or don't, man. Mm. Like, I just... It was a very frustrating watch for me. Like, because it was a movie that I liked some of the performances so much that I wanted. I really wanted to be pulled into it. And I just never felt swept up in the movie. It just felt like it... I felt very distant from it the entire time. And I never like that feeling when I'm watching a movie. Yeah. I I think one of the difficult things is that they really tried to show that there was still a balance of trying to connect normal life to, you know, civilization at the time uh, during the war. And that's why we had this long running uh, rose ceremony thing, which is held outside and all this kind of stuff. And it's, it is a clear, you know, 
it's a clear movement to try and be like, look, I know that we're right in the midst of a war, but we can't let that overcome us. That We can't let that right. overwhelm us and, and take away our normalcy. And you're talking about enjoying those hat scenes, and I love them too because they are really nice moments. But it feels like they were afraid of relinquishing that kind of joy, that normalcy, and so didn't know how to balance, you know, trying yeah. that, that, that cautious line of... How do we stay? How do we retain some kind of um, some moment of ourselves, some aspect of right. who we are as people? And that's something, you know, again, pandemic eyes, you can look through and go, you know, everybody's like, when are we going to return to normal? And it's like, well, there will be no normal. We'll just have to get no. used to some kind of new normal. That's over. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know what I hate about this movie? Andrew, what is that final? Is that final shitty speech by the fucking priest? I hate right. it so. Right. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it so much. Um, and we'll talk about nationalism. We'll talk about patriotism a lot in our next episode uh, when we talk about Yankee Doodle Dandy. Um, spoilers, I guess, for our next episode. But this whole speech about like it's the people's war. I like. I was like physically recoiling from this because it's so obvious it is so blatant like i need a little bit of if you're gonna be if you're gonna have that level of like nationalism and that kind of gross stuff like i just be a little subtle about it like it's just like it's the, pe- the people's war it's our war we are the fighters isn't us and may god defend the rights like it's just oh god please stop talking <laughs> priest i do not want to be here and of course it's like with the you know all the bombs have already dropped and there's all this wreckage everywhere and it's very over the top and it, was, and it like really didn't fit in with the rest of the movie like there's a lot of talk about like oh we're doing the right thing but it wasn't so blatant and then this end and it's very interesting to me how much i hate this because you know, we talked about the great dictator on this on this show. That is very blatant, right? Mm. That speech is very upfront with its message. So much better and like really hits home for me. And this is like, oh, shut up, father! I've heard enough out of you. I, I do not need this. Especially because, like, I don't know that it'd be different if that that came from we cared about. It yeah. came from a character that we really connected to. But it's just this fucking dude, and you're just like, what do you? Why, well, why do it, I need to listen to you? So, like, yeah. it doesn't surprise me that Churchill was like, yeah, this is great. Because it sounds like a Churchill speech. It really does. Like, it yeah. absolutely does. Yeah. yeah. It, it makes me wish that they imported the priest from How Green Was My Valley. You know, there would have been some kind of emotionality there. Um, I can understand disliking that yeah. because it is such a, a propaganda moment. It is such a, we're going to replay this on the airwaves and you're going to be left going out going, yes, I must go off to war. <laughs> like, <laughs> like it's, it's like two seconds away from, we will fight them on the beaches. Like it's yeah. very like, okay, chill out. Will you like, God, but one of the things uh... which I find really interesting is how rapidly they respond to events going on in the war. Like wake Island, for example, is literally about the, the bombing of Pearl Harbor. And you know, this is, right after that occurred. And then, you know, this is also, um, Mrs. Miniver has a, a really interesting sequence that it's really wonderfully done. I think with the miniatures of the boats going off to go and mm-hmm. retrieve oh, people like in Dunkirk. Yeah. A lot. yeah. By the way, speaking of that, um, speaking of Dunkirk, um, I keep, keep getting upset how often this has come up in movies. I felt like, like when Dunkirk, the movie came out, the Nolan movie, um, it felt like, oh, this is really a story that's never been told and blah, blah, blah. Uh, and to me, it was. It was all yeah. brand new, <laughs> right? 
And then I watched these old movies, like, we, like, we talked about the time! Like, this is, like, it's been in, like, five or six different very well-known movies. So that was, like, shocking to me to see this yet again. Uh, but that sequence is really well-filmed. And, mm-hmm. like, I don't think it screams miniature. I don't think it's a scene no, that, not like, stands yeah. out. Like, and when I did a little bit, I was like, oh, wow. Like, that's yeah. that's really, really well done. And you do, and that is one of the few moments of the movie that you get the emotionality of war and it really comes through. And I kind of wish they had kind of stuck with that. But instead, it's kind of a fade to black. And then the guy comes back all kind of musty and messed up. And you're like, OK, we're back home now, I guess. Because it is a movie about the home front. home front. That is what they wanted to focus on. So I understand why they made that choice. But I feel like I feel like they misjudged the strengths of their movie. Um, I think the strength is actually their weakness. Yeah, but let's not diminish one of the standout scenes of the film, though, that, you know, you're talking about things that I I think if we take a lot of this film in isolation, you have really powerful short moments and short scenes. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, that that is what kind of carries across and, and makes this quite a interesting kind of film in a way, because it is it's the 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 manner that they connect these short stories or vignettes i guess it's all one complete narrative of course but the manner that they connect them doesn't feel honest it feels disingenuous agreed yes right yes but the one scene that i think that um besides you know carol's death i think the one scene that kind of will stick in my mind is in itself a, a really powerful short film by itself which is when the german uh this, this there is a fallen german pilot oh, oh yeah 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 you know, really good. and like mrs miniver is finally given something to do she's finally, finally yeah <laughs> not just stand around the house and look beautiful in a hat but like yeah. action yeah 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 and she's and she's given a moment of empathy and i find this a really really interesting scene and um i think that it is it exists quite clearly to point out that you know german soldiers have no emotions they do not care and you know they they really just they are soulless people yeah they are monsters but it's clear that for a long period of time william wyler is trying to present this german enemy as being a person and then he has a, a moment of kindness extended from Mrs. Miniver and he effectively just throws it back in her face. And that's when we realize, no, this guy is a villain. He is a, he's a terrible person. And I think that a film from a different time, I think maybe back to Saving Private Ryan, which kind of does this in a little different of uh, manner, um, <clears throat> even though that that particular film does still present the German soldier as a terrible person. Um, but I think that there would be a greater moment of empathy for both the German soldier and Mrs. Miniver. Uh, and it's clear that, you know, this is your moment. There's like, oh, these people are absolutely terrible. Just like the people in 49th Parallel. These are absolutely terrible people. And right. I find that really interesting. And I find that quite an, uh, a powerful little scene. But then yeah. it's the emotionality of it dissipates very quickly. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think, and to me, I think it dissipates because of what you talked about, where there's an opportunity for pure empathy. Like, if you have a scene where she is empathetic to him and he ends up dying, right? And, like, so he has a moment of kindness right before his death. I think that's, you don't have to change anything about him, and it shows Mrs. Miniver in this really wonderful light, and, like, 
that goes away and it doesn't have to be like all Germans are good, but like, oh yeah, everyone deserves a moment of kindness before death. I think that's more powerful than what we got here than when it becomes just so black and white and just like, yep, see, they're all nasty monsters. We knew it. He threw it back at her face. Ha ha. Like, it's just like, yeah, it's just so simplistic, you know? And again, yeah. Do you you think that it would be a, a can of Pepsi moment? You know, like, Here's your can of Pepsi, um, you know, bridging the divide and things like that. Like, I mean, I, I mean, I don't think in nineteen in nineteen forty two it would be. Um, I think, I think, I think, looking at it with modern eyes, you can you can definitely go that way. Like, I was just, I was just, I just uh, released a podcast with my friend Derek. Um, your list, my command. We talked about Giant, um, and there's a moment at the end of that film which is a very like, oh. Isn't it nice? All the races together. Um, but like for back then, it's like, no, this is progressive. This is radical. And I think in 1942, that would have been radical as well. You know, I mean, I think I think there's room for that. And I think it's very easy for us in 2021 to be really cynical about that and be like, oh, look, we all get along no matter what our backgrounds. But at the at the kind of weirdly opposite end of that, like, isn't it still revolutionary to have an enemy combatant have humanity? Like, we're still bad at that with war movies. Yeah, I mean, you look know? at American like, Sniper. <laughs> like, right, right, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you have the like the enemy sniper who has like no personality and no character. He's just a villain, you know, who is like there to kill, and that is all. Like the the, the savage, right? So we still aren't good at that. Right. So I think I think that would work better. Whereas here it's just like, yeah, okay, it ended like we all thought it was going to end. Here we are, I guess. And that is like, I think, something we're repeating a lot on this episode is that there are these moments, these snippets that are like, yeah, this is good. What about the rest of this bullshit? I don't know. But this this is really good. And so that's the type of movie that ends up really frustrating me. And I probably end up giving it a lower rating than it actually deserves because you can see where it could have been better than good, where it could have been great. Like there's these little nuggets here. They're like, yeah, you go this way. No, no, you took a left turn instead of a right. What are you doing? What are you doing? This is, Come on, man. Um, so that type of movie is way more frustrating to me than a movie that's just actively bad. A movie that's actively bad, there's no hope that it's ever going to be good. This is a movie with other decisions that could have been really good to great. So that's always really frustrating for me as as a film watcher. Yeah. I I mean coming to this film I I was excited to see another William Wallow film. He is one of the great directors, but I feel that this is one of his lesser yeah, it's works pretty good. in a way. It's, yeah, right. it's pretty good. It's fine. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. um yeah. I'm curious to see how The Best Years of Our Lives plays out because that mm. comes out after the end of the war and I'm curious to see how that impacts everything. Um, I do want to recommend for people listening that if you do enjoy Mrs. Miniver, that there is a modern film that kind of deals with the filmmaking aspect of this film um, in a nicer way uh, and kind of looks at, it takes aspects of the story and skews it to a, a, a nicer perspective uh which is their finest lonnie sherfig's their finest oh so good such a great film so good yeah Uh, talk about a movie that was forgotten talk about underrated like oh my goodness and i talked about earlier about mrs miniver like moments that should crush you there are moments in their finest that are gutting that that are so well performed and just oh so so good could not recommend that movie highly enough 
fantastic. Yeah, yeah I agree. I, I thought about it a lot while watching this because I was like, oh, this is where those kinds of moments are from. This is where the idea of translating um, this particular narrative into, you know, onto screen comes from. And, you know, particularly because the, the screenplay is written by four people, Arthur Wimpress, George Froschel, uh, James Hilton, and Claudine West. So it's, you know, there is that aspect of a woman's touch on this particular script, mm-hmm. which is nice to see. Um, and they all won best screenplay for this particular film. So it's good. Um, but yeah, like I... I'm disappointed. It's it, it's not a bad film. It's just not a great film. And unfortunately, you know, if we were yep. talking about this film on a manner of, um, does it matter because of how important it was to rally the troops and get people excited about going to war and defending their country, then yeah, maybe it does matter. All right, because because of that propaganda aspect. But sure. I can't celebrate pop- propaganda. You know, I can't celebrate that regardless right. of whether it has a pure intention or not. Because of the mere fact that it is propaganda, it is, you know, and it's not even subtle good good propaganda. Like it's just so blatant. Yeah, no, this movie doesn't. You're wrong. This movie doesn't matter in any way. I don't. It just doesn't. Like I, I watched this I think four days ago, and like I am struggling to recall things about it. Like it just fades into the background. There's nothing about it that is phenomenal. There's nothing about it that's terrible. Like. You know, to quote, you know, you're, you know, obviously the greatest Australian director of all time. It's mediocre. It's mediocre. <laughs> like it just is. And and that's is, not, yeah. and mediocre, I think people read, read that wrong think, and are going to think, I think it's a piece of garbage and it's not. Mediocre is just that kind of like very in the middle, not good, not bad, just kind of sits there. And like, that's not what, you know, a movie that matters and a movie that be, that should be remembered it shouldn't be mediocre, and Mrs. Miniver is mediocre. Well, that's it, yeah. Disappointment. Um, I, I think that, you know, there are fans out there. If they want to reach us, then... Oh, I, I know. <laughs> I, I posted about it online, line, and people, how dare you? Like, oh, jeez, I didn't know this was so loved by you weirdos. Yeah, Sorry. There, there, are, there are a lot of people who love this film online. Um, there are a huge amount of people who love this film online. And I just want to read... Um, if it will allow me to to pop it up on my screen. I want to read somebody, Tim Lego's review, who is somebody, a fellow Australian, um, and he said something that was quite interesting, uh, well, that I found quite interesting at least. It's becoming more and more apparent to me that William Wyler was one of the great filmmakers. It's hard to see anyone else being able to make this film at the height of World War II and not have it turn into a grotesque melodrama or outright propaganda. I disagree with him there, as we pointedly said. But Wyler is able to balance the message and the humanity. Theresa Wright at this time was about as good as reason to go to war as any. And look, I think... You know, I like I Teresa Wright that a lot. I, that, uh, that's that's why I wanted to mention it because I I, I agree with that too. I think that she's wonderful, um, and she deservedly won Best Supporting Actress as well. Um, I disagree with everything else you've said there, Tim. Um, but it's yeah, doesn't matter. Um, I think that we're going to be talking about a film on the next episode that does matter uh, because it's spoiling my opinion of of it. Propaganda um, double feature. Here we go. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Watch me backpedaling in the next episode uh, where we talk about Yankee Doodle Dandy. Propaganda is good, actually. Yes. <laughs> Michael Curtis is what Yankee Doodle Dandy. Um, yeah. 
So join us then. Dave, where can people listen to you online? You've got about 50 different podcasts oh, out God, there. God, so, so I, many. I already mentioned one of them. Uh, uh, your list, my command, which is and, which is at pod. You can also check out Off Screen Death, um, which is just at Off Screen Death, a show I do with my, my buddy Mike, um, where I take a look at a movie that is very well thought of on these fancy best of lists. And Mike picks a movie that's less well thought of, but thinks might be worth your time. Your time. It's all about how we spend our time uh, watching movies as we get closer and closer to the death. But it's much more uplifting than that, I promise. Um, but if you want to, you know, see all my podcasts and hear all my podcasts and yeah, read all my writing, you can just follow me on Twitter at DarnThatDave. I post the, all, the, all of things, uh, so I'm constantly on there. Too much, uh, but find me on Twitter. <laughs> yes, uh, and you can find us on Twitter, Wardstone Pod, and listen to previous episodes at thecurb.com.au. Uh, we'll see you on the next episode for Yankee Doodle Dandy. The homes of many of us have been destroyed, and the lives of young and old have been taken. There's scarcely a household that hasn't been struck to the heart. And why? Surely you must have asked yourselves this question. Why, in all conscience, should these be the ones to suffer? Children. Old people. A young girl at the height of her loveliness. Why these? Are these our soldiers? Are these our fighters? Why should they be sacrificed? I shall tell you why. Because this is not only a war of soldiers in uniform. It is a war of the people, of all the people. And it must be fought not only on the battlefield, but in the cities and in the villages, in the factories and on the farms, in the home and in the heart of every man, woman, and child who loves freedom. Well, we have buried our dead, but we shall not forget them. Instead, they will inspire us with an unbreakable determination to free ourselves and those who come after us from the tyranny and terror that threaten to strike us down. This is the people's war. It is our war. We are the fighters. Fight it, then. Fight it with all that is in us. And may God defend the right. Love this podcast? Support it and sponsor today. Simply head to OzCastNetwork.com for details.